Kia ora, aotearoa, and welcome to Generally Famous. I'm Simon Bridges and every week I talk to generally famous but always interesting guests about life, love and what makes them tick. Today, a young woman uh, whose podcast Girls That Invest is in its fifth season, fifth season, and is the number one business podcast in countries such as the US, Canada, I think number two in the UK and number one again here in New Zealand. Indeed, it's in the top 1% of shared and followed podcasts globally. Today, Simran Kaur also has huge following on Instagram with both her Girls That Invest and the Indian Feminist Handles, as well as a top-selling book that I hold in my hot little hands, Girls That Invest, your guide to financial independence through shares and stocks. Welcome, Simran. Oh, that's a very kind introduction. Thank you so much for I having me. I wrote it myself. <laughs> um, and was it Simran or Sim? Because that's what Sonia on your... Pod, is that like is that too familiar for me though? Given like I've only known you about seven minutes. Do you know what you can call me Sim, um, but my full name is Simran. Yeah, I don't like people calling me Sai. No. I mean, if they really knew me and it was something, but you know, when you've just met someone and they, um, and it's like Sai, and it's like no, you don't know me. You mm. do not have the right to do that. I mean, no one actually has the right to do that because I don't like it. Full stop. But yeah, so but. What if That's complete. I mean, you, Sim has one more letter, so it's okay, right? Yeah, it, it works. And it's easy for me to like almost separate it, like Sim from Girls That Invest, and then Simran at home. You know, you kind of separate the so two your parents parts. call you Simran. They do, full name. Yeah, no, fair enough. It's like I've got a friend, Nick, and to his wife and family, he's Nicholas. But, you know, it's... Anyway, that's not anything I want to. I want to talk to you about money, and then you talk about you. And so, look, let's get into it. There's a lot to cover here. Money stuff. You purchased a house at 23. Well, no smashed avocado for you, clearly. Yes, it was a very interesting story. Um, so I started working my first full-time job in 2020, and that's when COVID hit. So I started in Feb. COVID kind of, you know, lockdown happened in March, and that was my first. And I think for everyone, our first financial scare of like, just, you know, what's going to happen? Am I going to be able to pay rent? Am I going to, how much do I have in my savings? How long can I stay here for before I have to start looking at other things? And that's when I really had a sense of, I would love to make some financial goals of buying a home one day. And that came from a number of reasons, but primarily I think it's really important to be financially independent and have something that's your own. And I like the idea of if anything ever happens to me in my life, there's always that one little home that I've got that I can always, you know, go back to. Is it a, is it a little home? It is a little home. Um, it's in Auckland. It's in Hamilton. Hamilton. And um, do you do you sort of live? You live there, I, or you're renting it, or I do live there. Um, the ceiling currently has fallen to the floor. And that was a bit of a disaster, but besides that, it's fine. <laughs> besides the lag of a ceiling, and like, actually, just on you, you know, you said kind of you went through this in COVID. Um, so you were like, you're. I, we just I asked you off here. Um, I feel like you know, if you were thirty years older, it might be a rude question, but it's okay at your age. You're twenty six. Yes. So like you, COVID has been a big part of your adulthood. Yeah. Uh, what are you? Re- I mean, I don't know what I'm really asking you, but what do you think about that? I think it from the start made me very hyper aware that well, like any sort of learnings you have, I guess, early on in life really have an impact on you. And my biggest learning was like life can change in an instant. And I think everyone felt that whether you were in your 50s or your 20s, but you're so much more able to think, well, Nothing is promised. The rug can be pulled under me at any time. So let's do what I can and what I can control is being financially, you know, free and making sure that I've got my own things to take care of me. And so for the first year, I lived very frugally. I would not spend any money. Um, And my flatmates were students, which I think helped because they were very, very poor. They were living off, you know, the student loans. Um, And so I if they wouldn't go out, I wouldn't go out. If they cooked at home, I cooked at home. And so we were able, well, I was able to make it work, save up a lot, invest a lot. And then at the end of the year, I was like, oh, I actually have enough to purchase my own home. So you drew into your investments? Yes. So 
Because that's like against everything Warren Buffett teaches, isn't it? Going in there and ripping out that money for a kind of a non-productive, although in New Zealand it's been like the best asset, but a non-productive asset. I think one thing that I really wanted to do was have a home. And so to me it was you want to invest for a goal, whether that goal is home ownership, whether that goal is you know a, a college fund for your children if, if that's something that you are worried about. But once you reach that goal, you can start to pull down a few investments and kind of take it from there. And like I'm, I was being silly, but you know, <laughs> I said this the smash Davo thing, right? Because that's a bit of a trope or whatever it is around you know young people and they're too busy at Ponsonby and Grayland cafes like these young'uns in the room right now with us, you know, buying smashed avocado and a couple of poached eggs for like $98 or something rather than saving it. But, I, I mean, and, and so I don't mean this as a criticism, but you are, are you telling me, you, you, I mean, you, your instinct is you're a saver, you're a squirreler? I think so. It, um, to maybe the detriment of the people around me, I'm very much a saver and I'm also a risk taker. So I think they both work out quite well. You can put away a lot, but mm. then invest it. And I think those two qualities work. You say to the detriment others around you, I mean, this is like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry because I know she's not here to defend herself and she'd have a completely different view. But my wife, Natalie, I mean, it's like I was, let's use that word tight, right? I mean, I would, you know, I, I, it pained me to get an extra slice of bacon or, you know, buy that second kind of piccolo at that ridiculous price somewhere in in, uh, in Auckland. Um, but she's sort of trained that out of me and I'm a bit more loose and free and easy with my dollars. I mean, do you, um, you, you said to the detriment of others, is that, do you think, do people get annoyed around you? I think the people around me, um, especially my best friend, Sonia, so she's my, my co-host on the podcast and she, me and her are a little bit like you and your wife. We're, one of us is definitely the spender. One of us is the saver. And you see the pull that we have together. One of us will go, well, let's, you know, for example, we were in a hotel once and she goes, let's order room service. And I was like, room service? <laughs> you wanted to go and buy some bread and some margarine. Absolutely. I was like, we can walk, you know, out. We're in a new city. Let's go explore. And she goes, but, you know, we're on in a hotel, like this is part of the experience. Let's order room service. And it hurt me, but at the same time, now I order room service. Um, so she won on that occasion. She won on that what occasion. What did you get? Oh, God, I blocked out my memory. It was so expensive. It was like <laughs> <laughs> some pasta. Yeah, it's like it's okay. You know, what? my thing on that is it's okay if work's paying. But you know, it's me, but but and I never, but I never touch the mini bar or any of that. No, that's, that's silly business. That's and you know, that's yeah. It's you got to have some fine lines on all of that. I generally get the burger. I like to. In fact, I feel like it could be an Instagram feed. Burgers in hotels I've visited. I mean, that's a bit long, but you get the point, right? Yeah. Because a good hotel burger at room service is a very good thing, and not good one is. It's never terrible. A burger is a burger, but that's my view. Anyway, that's this is I digress. Can you, um, not you, anyone? Do you think though, on of on sort of you know, talking about that being frugal, maybe a little bit tight? Can you get rich quick? I don't think so. I think that getting rich quick is, it's it's a term that gives me the ick almost. It's something that I mean, it sounds good on paper, and obviously more people would be interested if you said, "Hey, here's how you do X, Y, Z, and you can make millions upon millions." But I think doing it slowly and doing it consistently will give you a much more realistic and better outcome, and it's more sustainable. And is it also true, like slow and steady in terms of investment and saving and all that? Is it also true that it's actually Less about the dollars in, and it's it, it's just much more what you do with it, right? So what I'm suggesting is, you know, the person on sixty grand a year, if they are a regular, consistent saver and investment, will do better than the hundred and fifty k a year person who's mucking around with their money. Oh, absolutely, and we see it all the time within our community because we're very lucky with the podcast listeners and the social media um, community. They share their numbers with us and they'll openly talk about it. And you see, you know, someone could make $300,000 a year, but they'll spend $300,000 a year. Mm. And they don't really, you know, move from point A to B each year. I see year. we wouldn't talk about Natalie anymore <laughs> in this podcast. I'm not. <laughs> anyway, no, she's, we might get her on one time. We've been thinking about that. I don't know. She doesn't know this yet. 
Um, but it, she could she could defend herself on some of these things. But like, oh, we're not going to go into it. She gets really angry. But just some of the purchases she's made recently, Simran, it's just not right. See, I, I'm, an, I'm a firm believer of like value-based spending. And so it's the idea of rather than having budgets and being strict, because that works for some people um, where you're like, look, this is how much I have and that's that. Value-based spending is, look, I value these three things. I value travel. I value, you know, a nice decor, like whatever it may be. And as long as what you're spending is aligning with what you value, I think that's fine. The difference is if you're saying, I want to purchase my first home, but you look through your bank statements and your spending isn't aligned with those values, then you've got to go, well, maybe something's got to change. Either what I want's got to change or how I get there has got to change. Yes. So if you really value that Dolce & Gabbana toaster. Absolutely. Um, that can be okay. Um, house, just on that for one second more, because I think, you know, a lot of people say 23, she got it. She got a house on her own. Did you have family help? No, I did not. This is all you. All me, but I will say um, I don't believe in like everything being done by myself. I think there's a lot of privileges involved, such as going to a good school, coming from a place where my parents had financial literacy and the privilege yes. of them teaching me that, but no financial aid. Good moral lessons and all that, and know how, but not not the finances. And the other thing I just wanted to ask is, is did, I sort of asked you this already, but did it? Was there a did did you have, were you in a quandary at all? Where you sort of thought because some of the investor friends I've got, they kind of look down on housing. It's terrible for New Zealand. We're putting all our money in that. We've got a trillion dollars in housing. What we need is real productive assets and so on. So it's better to be in shares and business and, you know, as I say, things that are... Pro did you sort of sit there and did it pain you to take out your shares and to kind of be doing that? And what you the opportunity cost, I suppose, I'm saying, or not so much because you thought, well, I need to live in this. Oh, that's such a great question. I think for my first, because I, I currently just have one home for my first, it was an easy, like, well, I need somewhere to live and I believe in diversifying and you don't want it all in property and you definitely don't want it all in shares, but let's start off trying to move things, you know, a little bit here and a bit there. We're starting to see a lot more of a shift as well, I think, with the younger generations who cannot afford property to begin yeah. with. They're kind of going, well, shares are the easier option or the yeah. lowest barrier of entry, so they start there. And then we start to see them as time goes on, go, well, now that I have a little bit more, let's put a bit of it into property, but it's never property first. It's the sharesies phenomenon, eh, right? You know, it's, I think, you know, I've, I've joked with one of the founders about that in the Smashed Avo, but it's like for the price of that Smashed Avo, you can be in Apple or, you know, uh, any other stock for that matter. Um, Westlake Girls and then University, where you became an optometrist. Yeah, very different to what I do now. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of weird. I mean, you, you like, if you just didn't know anything about you and you sort of picked up girls that invest somewhere in core, you'd say, um, You'd say, I was going to say Chamber of Commerce, that's what I do in my day job. You'd say Bachelor of Commerce. Yeah, I started off at university, did optometry for five years. And one of the things in our degree is, which I thought was great, they encouraged us to take papers outside of your core curriculum. And so I took two within the university. One of them was like marketing. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then in 2020, um, just before I began work, I took a certificate in financial markets through Yale. And I thought, this is interesting. Like, let's see what this is about. And it was so simple to me. And I kind of got angry. I was like, I spent my like years and years and years thinking that money was difficult or that, you know, the economy was hard to grasp. Well, how does insurance really work? And all of this stuff is so basic to me that I could relay this to a five-year-old. Yeah. For, for a lot of people, it does have a mystique, right, or a mm. mystery, right? So, so intimate. It's funny. It's just all the – I mean, I, you know, obviously former politicians. Some, for some people, politics is like that. They don't want to discuss it anymore because they just don't get it. And I, fair enough, you know, your life's so short, you've only got so many time. It's just, it's just not – they don't – they can't and, – and for some people, money's like that, right? It's mm. like this mysterious thing. But were you always interested in it? I had always had a keen interest on being the nosiest child in the room. Like if I was at someone's home and they had a nice home, I would be like, hey, what do your parents do? Like, what did you do to get this? Like, that's so interesting. Or I would chat with my parents around like, well, 
why did you buy this car that was a lot cheaper for cash when you could have gotten like this nicer car? And then they'd go, okay, well, this is how like credit cards work. And these are, you know, car loans and all of that. So I've always been interested, but I think my true interest came from the fact that I got to see a lot of women around me grow up without money. And I got Mm. to see a lot of women grow up around me that couldn't uh, leave certain situations or leave certain jobs, certain relationships. And I just knew that that wasn't the kind of life I wanted. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's sort of one of your mantras, isn't it? That, you know, um, women who can invest, um, that that is a key to, you know, um, gender equality. Oh, absolutely. Like, I don't think, you know, the gender norms that we have could survive if every single woman said, well, I can actually just walk away because I've got my own place or I've got my own job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and, in a way, and I know this is ridiculous and is not how it should be, but in a way, it's quite radical for a young woman to be, you know, an investor, educator, you know, thought leader, whatever you want to call yourself around investment. Because I suppose the conventional view is it's not very feminine. No. No, it's not. And I I remember when we were first starting and we had hit, you know, the, the, the charts around the world and we had someone uh, photograph us for a magazine and the photographer was like, look, I don't mean to be rude. And it wasn't a rude question, but he goes, you don't look like you run the number one business podcast on investing around the world. <laughs> <laughs> And that's just, that's just the truth. But factually, that is true, that right? Is, Even if it's wrong, it's, it's you know, that is factually true. It is factually true, but we play into it because we go, well, that's what we want. We want people to look at us and go, oh, if they can do it, you know, maybe it isn't that hard. Or why is it that if someone is a man in a suit, then suddenly those topics are difficult or hard to reach. But if yeah. we start to do it, hopefully it normalises it a bit more. Do you more. think, um, you know, now you've, you've, you've it's, it sounds very glamorous, you know, we've talked hotel food. I know you've just been in New York and other parts of North America and probably the Northern Hemisphere, but do, do you want, I wonder if in, in Kiwiland there's a bit of a thing as well. It's like I, I learned in politics, sex, religion, and actually money kind of you don't talk about. You know, so it's a, it's a bit of, but is that, a, um, is that a Kiwi thing, do you think, or do you think that's broader? I think to some extent it's in every culture, but I think specifically in New Zealand we are such, and I I love it, we're such humble people. We don't like to brag and we definitely don't like to talk about money. If you you could go to someone that you know has like the nicest home in Takapuna and you ask them like, are you comfortable? And they'd be like, yeah, we we do all right for ourselves. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) That's right. Their house is worth more than, you know, small island nation GDP, right? I mean, that's, 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 that's exactly right. And 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 money, even if it's not quite the beachfront property in Takapuna, is crucial to a good life. Oh, absolutely. I think one thing that I have never been able to grasp is people that will say that they don't think money is important or that they shouldn't, you know, shouldn't take a job for money or you shouldn't worry about money. And yet coming from the healthcare background that I had prior to this, you know, money affects every part of your life. It affects your health outcomes. It affects where you live, where you live affects what kind of supermarkets or maybe lots of fast food chains are around you. And all these things start to add up. It affects your education. You know, I went to a public school, but by living in a nicer area, it was one of the best you know, public schooling in the country yes. that it didn't even make sense yes. to send us All privately. schools aren't created equal. And look, on mm-hmm. the health one, it is a, you know, um, maybe a contentious fact, but I would say it's a fact that in New Zealand, if you're wealthy and you have certain kinds of cancer or diseases, you can get the treatments that will keep you alive that you simply cannot from the public system. Absolutely. You know, so it's... Uh, um, very important. Um, where do you think your interest then came from? You say, I mean, you basically say to me it's because you're a nosy Parker growing up and you're curious. But, Absolutely. But you could have been curious about, I don't know, um, fixing cars, baking cakes, something else, but it was money. It was money because I just felt like it impacted every part of your life and it affected the choices that you made. And I thought to myself, well, I want choices, so I want to be financially independent. And you... Um, now, of course, or this famous, uh, well, your podcast is famous. I suppose there's a distinction um, with your pal Sonia, who you talked about. How did it come about? You're doing optometry, and you what? Just actually, I'm going to answer. It was it was it lockdown? Was it or what? it was lockdown? It was March the 13th um, of 2020, and the share market dropped quite significantly. And I remember waking up 
and looking at it and going, oh, well, you know, this is great. Let me pour a little bit more money in as I usually do every week, but maybe a bit more this week because it's a good thing that the share market has dropped. And then I went about my day and noticed everyone around me was going, oh, my God, it's terrible. You know, things have plunged. Billions have been wiped off. And I went, oh, there's such a difference between what's happened and how maybe people should react and go, this is a great opportunity and maybe the fear mongering that we feel because we don't have the knowledge around it. And so I thought, well, every single person I know, man or woman or of any gender, they were all wanting to learn how to invest. They were all going, a lot of my friends had also just graduated and, you know, speaking to my education, they were all doctors and pharmacists and lawyers. And so there were all these smart people who still didn't know how to invest. And I thought, well, if no one's teaching us, then it's not even trickling down to any part of this country, um, let alone other parts of the world. So why don't we just start an Instagram account, start a podcast, just talk about our experience, what's a fund, what's an ETF, just the real basics, um, and we'll do it for a year and see what happens. It, um, it accused me just listening to you and what we were talking about before about um, education. So there's actually a real case for financial education at schools. Mm. I mean, the problem is what do you get rid of? You know, cut out English or science or something. You're not going <laughs> to do that. But, you know, I mean, but there is a real case. For it. Anyway, that was just a little value add I thought I'd add into this podcast. Where's the content for your podcast come from? Is it hard work every week? Holy heck, what am I going to find this week to put on? Before Girls at Invest, I think I had found my love of content creation and started, you know, making stories and, and sharing pieces of bite-sized facts with people. Because um, prior to this, I ran a company called The Indian Feminist, and it was a South Asian um, sort of service where we would talk about hot takes or, you know, why is it that we still have dowries, but they're kind of sugar-coated and, oh, when our daughter gets married, we buy her and her husband a home or we buy them a nice car, things like that. Or why, are, you know, male ch- children still preferred to some degree. And that, So that was, your f- that was your first? That was my first, uh, I guess, media company that I ran. Mm. And that was amazing. We made- Big following too, right? I mean, yeah. you've got some of these big- names that follow you and which is always good to then get more people following you and what's the sort of following of um because th- th- that's still going that's still going um that was back when it started it was around three hundred thousand on instagram which was a lot back then i think that was um an interesting time and, and that made me learn i remember one post we received a million um likes or reaches or something and i Amazing. thought wow you can reach that many people through social media you can start having a real impact and mm. so when Girls That Invest came around, I kind of had, I guess, the savviness to go, well, I can use the exact same formula on that to this. And content just comes quite naturally to me. But I think it's just if you enjoy what you do and you can break it down easily, you'll always have something to talk about. Yeah. And so some of it's quite sort of, I don't want to say nerdy, but let's say nerdy. You can call it and, nerdy. And, and, you know, investment sort of, not geekery, important stuff, but, you know, let's say earnest as well, but then some of it is quite practical. I like your um, sticky money Mondays, right? I mean, here's some of the ones in recent past. Help, should I feel guilty for earning more than my husband? Help, should I quit my job because of my boss? Help, am I my boyfriend's sugar mama? There'd be a bit more of that than people think. Anyway, help, how do I convince my brother to get a prenup? Um, And then you... You and Son, you sort of work through those issues in a, in a, you know, in a sometimes humorous, but you know, also get to some points around that. Yeah, I think um, it's it's really interesting. We we try to do two a week. One is like the serious, you know, let's break down the ways that ETFs work, and then we thought it'd be great if we can actually provide some helpful tips that are more relationship based because we start to notice most of people's money problems aren't necessarily, you know. I need more money or I spend too much. Those are things you know somewhat how to fix, but it's the relationships around money that really get sticky. My father used to say, there's three things that get you, and this is very true in politics, the gold, the gals, and the glory, i.e. money, sex, or kind of hubris and all of that. Um, Anyway, that's just another value add that really doesn't fit in that well with anything we're talking about. But... Um, five seasons, I've already said, um, and today you've also got this fabulous and you know best-selling book um, that I have in my hands. 
You write it? Yes. How did that go versus the podcast? A lot harder work? I'll be honest, I feel like I wish I could say it was really hard and it was like treacherous, but it was really fun. It poured out of you. It poured out of me. I was very surprised. But I guess if you talk about it all the time and if it's your pride and joy, it was pretty simple um, to do. I sort of feel like that sounds so pompous, yeah, this Kiwi so thing, but I, I've got a book myself, National Identity at All Good Booksellers. Yeah. Um, but the thing about that is that one flowed out too. That was mm. that was a lockdown book and it was, I, I don't want to say easy, but it was easy-ish because mm. it was what was in me and I just got that out, right? And it didn't, there wasn't huge editing and it was all me. And a second book would be harder though, I think, because it's like, well, that's my book. I've said what's going on in my head and I've been subconsciously percolating for the last few years. Um, whereas I suppose for you, though, that's not true. You could you could pump out another bestseller on financial stuff, shouldn't you? Couldn't you? Oh, I don't know. I think it was a one-hit wonder, I'll be honest. We, we got really lucky and... I think one of the things that I was really scared of, which is, I guess, a good problem to have, I remember the, the pre-order started coming in and I went, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I wrote a good book and now all these people are buying it. Like, what if they read it and they hate it? <laughs> and they were, more pre-orders were coming in. I was like, stop it, stop buying the book. I'm pressure. Not, pressure. But we, well, we, that's so Kiwi. That's very Kiwi. We sold 30,000 copies and I was very stressed out about it. I mean, but, that's amazing. Bestseller in New Zealand is like five... If you did 10, you've smashed it out of the park. Far out. What's it at now? It's uh, well, It just hit 30,000. We reached, we launched well, We launched it in July, so it's been out. No, I mean, that's in New Zealand terms, that is many, many times bestseller. Um, what do you describe yourself as today? I said influencer earlier, but what, what are you? I, as, as a job or? Yeah, I just feel like, you know, what do you do in the day? That's Not a good what question. do you, but what, do you ever... Word or set of words that what would you put on a business card? See, no one has business cards anymore, by the way. They're no, not sustainable. No, I'm very glad about that because business cards to me mean work. Yeah, people will email you with shit. See, I've never, I've never used a business card in my life. I feel like that's maybe the older generation. Yeah, thanks for that <laughs> cutting burn. I think we use Instagram or LinkedIn. It's just the easier way to go. But you've been title. My title, I guess. Some rancor. I don't know. I think I, I struggle with that. I used to write podcaster when I, you know, you fly on the plane and you have to put in what you do. And then at customs, I'd be like, what podcast? And so I stopped using that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose. Um, and you know what I think also happens? You get to a point where it's like, well, you've made it. You've got the big book. You've done the TEDx. You've got the, the podcast and the Insta following. So you kind of maybe don't need the title as much as others. Um, I'm going to ask you a cheeky question. Are you a millionaire? Yes. Um right 26 millionaire it's not bad you know everyone else in the room's jealous um in terms of money they're crossing the they're folding their arms with a huffy face in terms of money and investment what i, I just I, let's let's be serious for a moment here let's ask some serious investment questions what are your all-time favourite investment books or gurus, gurus, like give us, like if someone's, yeah, saying, oh, well, I want to be a millionaire at 26 as well, or, and I want to bone up on all this stuff the way you have, what, what should we be reading? I find, I found that obviously, and this is probably a little bit um, cheesy, but Warren Buffett was a really um, great starting point when I was younger, just because it's, I think he's one of the people that can simplify it down to the point where it didn't feel as intimidating. I remember reading Benjamin Graham's book, which is that big, thick, um, intelligent investor book. And I just, it was so hard to read. And I just thought, well, this is not for me. And mm. I threw that book to the side. Um, and there's this investor called Kathy Woods, who um, she was known as the last uh, ethical trader on Wall Street. She was fired for kind of picking up in 2008 that maybe they weren't doing the best for their investors during the decline. And it was really interesting to watch her talk about the importance of money and the importance of female freedom and also just financial literacy and just having those people that you could look up to and go, wow, like, it's not that hard or um, if they can do it, maybe I can do it was really key to me. I'm reading this really cool um, venture capitalist book at the moment um, because um, 
Yeah, I'm possibly about to embark on some crazy things to get rich quick, which I know isn't here. But my only point is that it's quite different. You know, there's different. That, that's very different from the Buffett way of life, which is kind of tried and true. Do your homework, find something undervalued, hold on to it, as opposed to kind of moonshot. This thing's um, going to have exponential growth in the next three years, and yeah. I think one of the I've, I've been kind of venturing into the VC world myself, just like out of interest. I accidentally um, followed some VC people on Twitter, and I just kept getting all this information, and it just sparked my interest. But my one thing that I have found so helpful from Warren Buffett is having a good BS meter, and especially mm. in the last year and a bit with NFTs and crypto and you really did feel the pressure around you to be like, well, maybe I should do this too, or maybe I should start an NFT. But to me, I was like, that doesn't, that, what is the real world implication of this? Or like, how is this useful to anyone? How could my mum use this? N- not very useful. And so just having a good BS meter, I think, has been like one of the best investing tips. There's a slightly different way of saying that possibly slightly different thing, but you wouldn't invest in something you don't understand. Yes. Yeah, no, I think that's possibly, um, probably right. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> what about your daily sort of research regime? Are you up at 5am scanning the markets? No, I think that is one of the biggest misconceptions that people have around investing and one that I used to have myself where you've got to have like three different screens with all these graphs and that's what day trading is where you're in and out of the market. Um, But long-term investing, buying and holding, you know, diversifying, that doesn't require that much work. And I would say that I check the markets every day, but that's because it's part of my job. And with Sonia, you know, with someone that jumps in on the podcast, she probably looks at it once a month. Like it's not something you have to do every single day. And I think, but you are very informed. Yes. So what are you sort of looking at? What am I looking at? I think I just like websites, to, apps, pods. What what's the sort of? I'm I'm a very general person. I I have a little folder on my phone with all the different apps that I like to go through. So I'll start off with like CNBC, Wall Street Journal, but then. You've got to look more broadly. So just what's happening in the news, like in the BBC and Reuters and obviously back home. And what about your daily regime more generally? I mean, I suppose I'm just asking because, you know, you're a highly effective person. What's your sort of, what's your habit? Are you um, you're running 33 kilometres by breakfast, chucking down a smoothie and a banana and some poached eggs before you kind of, I don't know, um, do Sudoku for the rest of the morning. I don't know what do you what do you what's a what's a normal day look like for you? A day in the life. Um, I guess it's not like that. That's for sure. I'm not a morning person, so it's kind of slow and steady. That's surprising. I don't. I'm not the a best morning. people are morning people. I'm trying to be. I'm trying. I'm trying my. Are best. you a late night person? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. But I'm trying to change because it's it's not um, very sustainable. I guess well the things that I um, do behind the scenes, I don't think people really get to realise or, or see this, but to run a media company that puts out podcasts and social media content and workshops and stuff, it involves a lot of um, just trying to understand who you're talking to and trying to understand your community or your customers. And so I spend a lot of time kind of in their 
talking to people and understanding what do they want next because in a world of social media things dry up really quickly and you could do one thing really well but our intent our attention spans just get shorter and shorter and so I spend a lot of time I guess trying to hold on to people's attention yeah I think there's something in um, you know that shorter and shorter thing there's something in sustained reading and learning uh, I try and do that you know um, put the phone on flight mode and you know actually sit down and try and learn something rather than just kind of flicking through various things anyway that's just another bit of value no I, I, I find that really interesting because if you think about it especially with TikTok if you're on TikTok for an hour you've just spent an hour consuming things for six seconds at a time and imagine doing that constantly every day yeah I don't know I mean the only thing that gets me is um Instagram drum stuff right I just all these dudes and dudettes drumming is that what I can, you're for I can you sort page, of find, Well, you know, I, I, just, I actually don't have Instagram on my phone, but so just, you know, it'll be 10, 15, 8 p.m. and I want to go to sleep because I'm a morning person. And um, so I start on those, on Natalie's phone, and I'm just, I get sucked into a world. And then the algorithm's got you, you know, and you're getting more, you know, 14-year-olds doing some Led Zeppelin or something or Phil Cotton. It's amazing. It's I cool. love it. It is. It's a lot. And that's how it sucks you in. And then it's 11.15. And then you're a zombie. And then you don't sleep as well because of those lights flashing in your eyes. And anyhow, are we um, inevitably heading towards a recession? I feel like we've missed it, but you probably are going to start to see it happen in the States. And I feel like there's a saying I love, which is when... When America sneezes, the rest of the world gets sick. And mm. I think that will definitely have a flow-on effect. American, possibly China these days, but mm. that's, yeah, I think that's right. What's your general advice at the moment in the, in the in a sort of a, you know, whether it's recession or not, you know, tough time, bear market, as you people in the know would say, um, around investment? I think one of the biggest misconceptions that we see when it comes to investing is that You've got to change it up very quickly based on what the market is doing. And if it's down, oh, you should change it. And if it goes up, you should, you know, sell off. But the way I invest um, and the way Sonia invests is we kind of call ourselves nana investors where it's kind of the same no matter what's happening. And if it's, you know, a little bit lower, we're still putting the same amount of money away every month and it's still in the same things. And you've got to maybe from a personal finance point of view have a bit more, you know, emergency funds saved up as cash if, you know, something happens with your job or perhaps making sure that, you know, there's other areas of your life where your debt is being taken care of a little bit more carefully as inflation is, you know, I don't think I'm surprising anyone quite high right now. But besides, you know, this recession, I don't really think there's much different that we'll be doing. And um, so what you, I, my understanding of what you would say is, so someone's out there, they're 25, they've got no dependents, blah, blah, blah. They earn 600 bucks a week, or that's probably below minimum wage, I don't know, whatever, 800 bucks a week. You're basically saying, look, have a think, think it through. If you can, you know, it might be 50 or it might be $75 that you can invest. And is your approach um, funds? I, I get the sense you're more interested in these managed funds than the individualised stocks, or have I got that? Run yeah. me through that and what the pros and cons sort of are. So again, kind of coming from my healthcare background before I got into this, the way that my brain thinks is, is there research behind it? You know, you kind of, you'd never want to go to an optometrist or a doctor that gives you a drug because they go, you know what, I want to try this on you, see if it works. It's, mm. it's if there's five studies behind it, we give you the drug. And it's the exact same with my investing strategy. And so you'll, a lot of people end up being surprised that this research shows that trying to individually pick and choose companies is not very sustainable in the long term. And you're probably better off putting it away in managed funds, putting it away in ETFs and index funds. There was a study that looked over 15 years of professional fund managers, so these are people that do it for a living, only I think it was like 2 to 8% of them bit the market average by individually picking and choosing. How do I, I, I know nothing about what you're talking about, I'm sitting there, I'm like, what's she even, what is an ETF? How would I start this process? 
I think starting this process would begin by understanding that it is impossibly hard to try and pick a winner of individual shares. And so you're better off putting um, that time and energy into living your life and instead focusing on putting it into a fund, which is like a basket. It's got lots of companies in it. And if one or two of those companies go up and down, it doesn't really matter because you're filled up with so many different brands in Does there. risk, what sort of risk would you, let's say, I can't remember what I, age I was putting this person at, but let's say the same age as you, 26, and they're starting it. Should they go higher risk? I think because they got longer time. Oh, I think if it all turns to kaput. They're not about to retire, so I think it's a personal choice. Because at that point, you know, you might have someone that goes, "Well, I've got all this time, but I'm scared. Like when that money goes up and down, I can't sleep at night." That's probably not the kind of person that should be putting their money into investing. And if we say investing's like a big pie, you know, portfolio, um, let's go apple pie. I love it. Uh, a big apple pie, how are you slicing that pie up? I'm, we're very transparent because I think you have to be when you talk about money. So we share what we do. And myself personally, about 90% of that pie is in ETFs, exchange-traded funds, which in simple terms are those baskets filled with companies. A lot of them are US -based. And that's other people doing the research and you know going through it all. It's and... computers doing it. Right. Um, so it's a lot cheaper. A lot right. less fees. Um, so that's what the passive index funds do. And then maybe 5 10% of them are in individual companies. So I got quite lucky with Tesla when I was younger. Mm. Um, but that's more of a speculative investment. And that's not mm. to say I was so clever to have known that. That was I took a punt. Um, are there sectors you like more than others and some you like less than others? I think I find tech very interesting, but I think that's also just... It's exciting, it grows quickly, it crashes quickly, it's more fun, yeah. but it's not the long-term investing style that I would pick personally. What about, um, okay, tech. Um, um, and you sort of, I mean, going on your back, you like, you like those kind of tried and true ones in Kiwi terms like health and I don't know, what some other ones, energy? Some of those. Uh, so what I like to do is by putting it in something like an ETF, they kind of cover all the sectors and so it doesn't, I'm not putting in my personal bias around, well, I like this, so hopefully it will do well. Something like an S&P 500, top 500 companies in the States, it's got the tech, it's got the healthcare, it's got the education, it's got the boring banks, it's got a bit of everything. So final money question before I put every aspect of your life under the microscope and deeply analyse you. No, we won't do that. But um, do men or women invest better? Funnily enough, women do invest better and I feel like that's a sexist thing to say see I don't think it is <laughs> if I said it about men it would be well if it's a fact you can always back up a fact by saying Fair this enough. is what's happened okay give me the give me the evidence um so studies have shown um Fidelity did a study it was over I think 10 million investors and they found from 0.4% to 1% returns are higher um, with female investors. And that comes from the fact that they just tend to not jump in straight away. I mean, this is really generalizing here, but they don't sure. jump in straight away and they kind of get the know-how first and then they go, okay, I'm going to invest this month, this much every month. I'm not going to check my portfolio as often. I'm not going to change how I invest based off the news. And those three traits um, make a good investor, whether you're a man or a woman. Gotcha. Now, the internet is filled with stuff on you and money, but next to nothing about you personally. I suppose, is that intentional? Is this because you sort of, you, you, you're modest or you sort of haven't kind of... I don't know. What do people want to know? I, I don't know what... I don't know. I just, you know, like... Um, I think I had to work quite hard to even work out. You went to Westlake. It's very so. You know, you, you've given how many how many media interviews do you think you've given? Oh, I have no clue. We when we started, one of our goals was to just get out there. And so, if we got a request, we would just take it. We'd kind of just take, you know, what would have, whatever would come. Um, so probably hundreds. Yeah. Well, this is my point, right? I mean. Um, Google me and just about anything, and I will have said something about it in my personal life. I mean, maybe I'm at one end of the spectrum, but there's very little on you. Um, your parents migrated to New Zealand from the Punjab region of India? Yes. And 
I've been to I've been to um, uh, Punjab region. I've been to Emirates. Oh, I've yeah. been to the Golden, uh, Golden Temple. Temple, which was uh, amazing. Have you, you been back? Have you been there as a? Have you been to um, well I, India and to Punjab? I I was born there. We moved when I was two, right. and then we've been back a few times over yep. the years. What do your parents do for a living? What are they? Are they? I, I mean, you don't. I'm not. I'm just trying to understand how you, because you said earlier, you know, the financial literacy and stuff you sort of got from them. Yeah. And and I'm just trying to understand that. So my mum is a teacher, and my yep. dad is an engineer, and they moved um, when I was two. My dad moved for a job um, over here, and we've kind of just been here ever since. Um, and I think the reason I, I can probably just break it down a little bit further. The reason why. They had such an impact on me is growing up I would see um, the effects of a lot of the things that you need to be a good investor in. So they're not, you know, big investors themselves, mm. but things like, you know, living off less than you make and trying to be frugal and letting time do its thing. And I remember watching, um, we didn't have couches when we were younger because we couldn't afford them. So we had plastic chairs. And then as the jobs got nicer, um, the couches came in or the bed mm. frames came in or the cars got nicer over the years. And mm. so I got to see that slow progression and that really helped. Do you think that um, the, the, them as first generation immigrants, I mean, is that, do you think that's part of the sort of the flavour of all of this? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I think just it's a different perspective and it just brings in so many interesting ways of looking at life. And your parents, when you see them struggle and you see them work, I think we've all seen that to some degree. Doesn't you don't have to be an immigrant for that, but you just have a real appreciation for hard work. I was just, you know, in your, your New York post, it was something like, you know, a Kiwi gal here in New York. You know, you made a new up on the, the the billboard and so on. So you, you're a Kiwi and 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 an Indian and an Indian, um, and that's you know obviously far from you're far from alone in that. But what's that? What 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 does that mean? What does that mean? I think. To me, Sonia and I really wanted to make that part of our identity with the podcast and with the brand because, I don't know, I just feel like when you can say that you're from a certain place, that means that there's certain ways you've grown up or ways that you've thought. And one of them was very, um, you know, traditional, the idea of the man's the head of the house, the Mm. wife cooks, and just letting people understand the context of why this is so important to us. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because that's right. And I mean, I, I, we're all, everything is a stereotype at some level, and I appreciate that's what I'm doing here. But, you know, there's this traditional, possibly religious view of the world, and then there's, you know, a modern, permissive, secular one. And um, new immigrants and their children specifically are sort of caught up in that. Um, does that mean, I mean, do you have two lives as a result of that or not really? I think when I was... In primary school, it would feel that way, like who I was at school would, and I'd go home and I'm like, I can't be the same Simran like, yes. at home. And you feel a Because pol- you wouldn't be accepted neither at a level, yeah, or that would be the perception. Absolutely. Yeah. And you'd almost learn to like code switch as a child between what you can and can't say. And so as a child, absolutely. But I think as you grow up, you learn that you can take both parts of your identity and kind of mush them into one. Um, where to from here for you? Where to from here? I think just continuing on the idea of making sure that financial education is equitable, and I use equitable rather than equal because technically the information of how to take care of yourself, how to be good with money is available for anyone to read or to get a book out um, in the library from, but it's not reaching the people that really need it. And so our job is to put an extra effort to reach women, to reach minorities, to reach the people that you know, need it the most. And so until we get there, I think that's what we'll keep doing. And that's very altruistic. But I suppose, what what do you want out of it? You, 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 the world is wide open to you, literally. You know, um, what do you sort of sort of think when you look back and I don't know, 10 years, 20 years, What is, is the millionaire going to be a gazillionaire? Or what's your sort of, what do you see? I'll be honest, I think it is just the answer I've given. Like I would feel like I've done my job if I felt like I could see a change or a dent made in how women and minorities affect or use money. I And I guess this is a good problem to have, but I've kind of achieved all the 
what do you call it, like the vanity metrics of mm. getting into this? Or, you know, we had a Forbes feature mm. last week. Um, Which is amazing. What You know, what do you do after that? I think from that, that point of view, that stuff's done and now it's, you know, time to hunker down and get to get to the goal. All right, I'm going to wrap up by asking you some questions we call general knowledge. What single object would you save from your house? When my ceiling of my house fell, I asked my friend to pick up one thing for me, and it was my pink smeg toaster. Amazing. As long as it's not Dolce Gabbana, because they're very, they smeg also and very expensive. <laughs> but if they've got value to you, there's nothing wrong with it. What's the best night out you've ever had? Oh, I think. Do I have one? I don't think I have one. In the hotel? I think taken. The, I think the best night I had was the first night with Sonia in New York. She was so sick, and um, we just ended up watching Hallmark movies, and they're terrible. What are they? Which Hallmark. They do movies, right? Like oh the, yes, the like gift cards, and they're just like super budget. They're so cringy and cheesy, and we just spent all night watching them. Love it. What's the best advice given to you, and who gave it? I can't remember who gave it, but I think the best advice I've been given was um, to fail upwards, and that just has made such an impact. Hmm. So how do you sort of do that or live that? I think by starting things. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, like, you know, you've you've done a lot in the last couple of years. How did you do it? And I think as cheesy as it is, like I started, I had the idea, but I'm not the first person that's had this idea, I'm sure. Um, we have ideas of like, well, what's next? Or maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. By being the person that is naive enough to action them, I think you get further ahead than maybe the person that's perhaps smarter than you, but is so caught up in their own head about, well, what will people say? How do I do it? How do I start it? If you just keep failing upwards, you end up you know, getting ahead. Who would you most like to be trapped in a lift with? Probably Michelle Obama. Amazing. I'd love to meet her. I think that's the only way I'll get to interact with her if we accidentally get stuck in a lift. That'd be good. Do you think you'd be, I just wonder with someone like, would you think you'd be intimidated? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I don't think I'd show it, but I'd definitely feel it. Yeah. If you could be any animal, what would it be and why? I'd be an elephant. They're so cool. And no one suspects that they're so smart and they pull pranks on people. It's so funny. Summer Cool, thank you so much for coming on Generally Famous. You've been listening to Generally Famous Stuff Podcast. There's a new episode every Wednesday. You can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash generallyfamous or wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, if you follow us on Apple or Spotify, any of the podcast apps, in fact, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Sounds good, right? Thanks to my producers, Chris Reed and Jen Black, and audio editor, Connor Scott. I'm Simon Bridges. I really appreciate you listening. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.